0: Welcome to DreamMaker, a podcast brought to you by First National Bank of Syracuse. At FNB, we strive to make sure that every life we touch is improved. Join us for each episode as we cover a wide range of topics, from financial wellness and marketing to mental health and ways to enjoy life overall. We may even teach you a thing or two about cultivating healthy soil. We are here to improve your life and so glad you've joined us today. Now, here are your hosts for today's episode of DreamMaker.
1: Welcome to episode two of season number two of our DreamMaker podcast. I'm Chris Floyd, president and CEO of the First National Bank of Syracuse. And one of the things we really want to look at or focus on in our second season of our podcast is how our communities work together to grow and thrive. And we have a great guest this week. It's Bob Dale. He's the economic development director for Grant County. Now, the economic development process to me really looks different in our various communities based off size and what things they need. Um, and as you will hear here, Bob has a passion for helping our communities and business succeed. And we have such a great conversation. It got a little long. So this first half, we're going to focus mainly on the economic development role in Grant County and the functions that he sees that are important and how he gets it going. So with that, we'll welcome this week and we'll talk to you later. All right, today on our podcast, we are lucky to have uh, Bob Dale. So, Bob is the economic development director in Grant County. Um, also, if you listen to KUOY, he has the get up and go show in the morning and the voice of the Ulysses Tigers. So, and at the, the other night at the um, uh, home products dinner, I think the comedian said, Bob has seven jobs. So, uh, Bob, you might kind of introduce yourself and let's figure out these seven jobs you got here.
2: Well, um... Yeah, it seems like a lot of jobs. Anyway, uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. We um, uh, we've we've got a lot to talk about here today. I, I think it's um, it's an interesting subject we're going to get into. But uh, I was born and raised uh, just across the border in Holly, Colorado, and uh, grew up there um, after getting to graduation and not having any idea what it was I might be good at. Uh, I did have a teacher recommend, uh, thought I might be good uh, being on the radio. So I went off and uh, went to broadcasting school in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Worked in, um, after graduating immediately got a job, worked in Arizona, New Mexico, uh, then moved back up here to this area and worked at, in Garden City at KBUF, Q97, KWKR, KIUL. Uh, I worked at basically all of them uh, in Garden City at one point or another. Then um, I kind of got a wild hair and decided I had always wanted to be a part uh, of the military and serve my country. So at the ripe old age of 29, I joined the Army as an enlisted man and uh, went to basic airborne school. And then to um, uh, my training, I was trained in psychological operations, which is basically the Army's, Army's propaganda wing. Uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of fascinating. And uh, that was stationed in North Carolina. Got out of the service after four years, went to Wilmington, North Carolina, worked a radio business there for uh, four years. And then uh, here's the funny part of coming back to Kansas is that in 1997, my parents were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And I had been away from home for a long, long time. And I thought, well, maybe it's time I go back and spend some time with my parents. They're not going to be around forever. And, um, turned out I was wrong because I came back for their 50th anniversary. And then we celebrated their 60th anniversary, then their 65th anniversary. And, uh, <laughs> and I think they got to, uh, 60, I think it's 67 years together, uh, for my dad passed away here about three years ago. And, uh, cause I, my plan was, you know, once my parents pass, I won't really have anything tying me to this area anymore. I'll. I'll go and explore the country again, and uh, here we are, so I'm still here, and i uh, been in Ulysses uh, basically since 1997, and uh, managed the radio station here for uh, 15 years, and then uh, decided to just make that a part-time part of my job. Um, the economic development, I was serving on the board for the economic development, and when we went through three or four interim uh directors i finally said well what does this pay because i think i can do that and i took it in uh, may of 2013 and i've been doing the job here ever since or not doing the job as some people would claim
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's uh um, it is one of those jobs I think it's hard to see kind of, I don't know, it's diff- hard to explain, but it's uh, not the easiest job in our communities by no stretch, I would think. But
0: Well,
2: every, everyone has their interpretation of what an economic development director should be doing, and everyone has their own idea of how it should be done, but it's a, it's a really superficial idea. And I mean, I had my own thoughts uh, coming into it and I was fortunate enough to be able to go off and do some actual training in the uh, economic development uh, courses and arena and got some real good background and history and training, uh, which kind of gave me my direction forward from there and a much better understanding of what it is we're trying to accomplish on a day-to-day basis. Because believe it or not, um, large corporate retail and manufacturing businesses aren't just standing in line out at the city limits waiting to uh, to build facilities here. So recruitment becomes a really a small part of what we do. And I think recruitment is what most people believe we are doing. Or should be doing
1: right everybody kind of wants that next kind of their favorite restaurant
2: i guess their favorite restaurant their favorite store target walmart
1: just a lot yeah yeah
2: well
1: one of the things you know is getting to know you over the years and kind of you know like say growing up in holly you know i grew up in johnson and you know, our bank locations, you know, where Ulysses is kind of the middle size, you know, Johnson, Syracuse, you know, pretty small communities. And, mm-hmm. and you know, growing up like that, he's like, you know, just, look you know, I love where I grew up at. And I think sometimes it's hard to realize, like, well, why doesn't everybody else would like to live here? And there's some challenges, you know, either way. But so that's kind of the challenge, I think, for for our community is how do we keep growing? Because um, I was looking up and, you, you know, you've been around probably, you know, I think probably, 2008, 2009, probably for like our county valuation was probably the peak for us. Mm -hmm. And then, so a lot of our county funding was based off, you know, oil and gas primarily, and probably especially from, you know, I don't know, Stanton County was, Grant County, and the ones south of us, you know, really relying on that. And that's kind of about disappeared, I guess. And so, changes how we have to fund ourselves and things like that. So, you think, man, we got to get things growing in our tax base. And I guess, unfortunately, people don't just kind of drop down and say, congratulations, here's a new business. Um, yeah. What do you think we ought to, I guess as your role that, you know, what are the big things in your role do you think would helps with that and why that's important?
2: Well, uh, that's really the ultimate question because uh, when you mentioned the tax base going away, Uh, the oil and gas revenue. And the other thing we have to consider here is that the water, (laughs) you know, people keep saying the water, uh, let me back up. If you went back 40 years ago in this community, people would have told you by 1990, we were going to be out of water. By 2000, we're going to be out of water. By 2010, we're going to be out of water. Eventually we are. We don't know when that's going to be. But water is going to be an issue. Oil and gas revenue is going to be an issue. Um, In my conversations with people, uh, when we talk about those things, I always say we need to act right now like the oil and gas industry is gone. That's how we need to behave. Uh, What there is left of it, we're, we're glad to have it but we need to be thinking about, it's gone, now what? Uh, the gut, will the water decline, now what? And the to me, the number one thing we don't do is talk about it. And we don't talk about uh, the challenges. We don't talk about the solutions. We, want, we, we might get on social media and tell everybody uh, what geniuses we are But as a community and as our municipalities and our elected officials and uh, the movers and shakers, they're the ones who need to be talking about what our communities are going to look like 20 years from now, 40 years from now, what we want to be and how we'd like to get there now. We're not always going to succeed, but the process of working through that moves us down the path of saying, well, this is this is the direction I see things going, this is what we'd like to try to do, then you have something that you can work towards together as a community, as uh, your, county and city and uh, all of your organizations you're trying to get to a place and I think that's one of the things that we just don't have those conversations and it leaves people like me in a bit of a lurch because I mean I can do my job but if we're all going in opposite directions, we're not accomplishing anything. And we need to, we need to have those conversations um, in, at those levels so we can put together long range strategic plans. And I, I, when I talk about long range, I guess I, I was just talking to someone here yesterday and I said, I've been blessed with big picture thinking and long range thinking but what that doesn't give me is the little details and steps between here and there it allows me to be able to think of things that a lot of people might not might not occur to them but it also gives me the the disability of I, how do we even tackle that you know i can see it but how do we get there so it takes both kinds, but I think I think having those conversations about what we're going to be, where we're going to go, how we're going to get there, how we're going to accomplish those things, the steps, all that planning 20 years from now, what do we want to do? And no one wants to think past the end of their lifetime, but it is, it is so important we do.
1: Yeah, because really you don't want to... Uh... And I think a lot of that too is, in some people's like, well, in 20 years, it's not going to be my problem. Well, it's, you mm-hmm. know, it would be my kids is the grandkids is somebody's going to be their problem. And just, you know, uh, the value of our community is just, yeah, you can't just have it disappear and kind of go away. And, um, cause, and, but I think kind of like you're saying, you got to, and, and what I hear you're saying is like, there are certain hard trends, I think that we're facing and,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and I think you can't just hide from those. You just got to realize that this is really what's going to happen eventually. And, and uh, some of the great technological breakthroughs we've had over the years has kind of made it, you just take farming example, you know, what farming looked like 50 years ago to today. You know, a lot of those advances has kind of let do more with less. And so those people, um, part of our issue, you know, we have lost people in the community because you just don't need mm-hmm. many people to do that. Well, those things are going to happen. So you got to think, yeah, in spite of this, how we're going to accomplish what we need to do. So and I guess you get a lot of opinions of what that vision needs to be, I guess, too, don't you? As far as, you
2: know. Well, I, I wish I could say I I, I do. But um, like I say, it's, it's hard for most people to visualize 20 years down the road. Um, but, you know, these these planning sessions and these things, they are years processes just to come up with the plan. And we've, we've got to be having those discussions so we can put things in place and it's going to be someone else's problem eventually, but hopefully you've laid out a roadmap for them uh, that they can continue to follow and see that it's, you know, uh, but it, with that roadmap there may be detours but you're at least working along a path towards uh creating something for your community these these communities do not have to go away they really don't there's uh there is a uh, desire for small town living for a lot of people there's plenty of industry um And, you know, one of the things I always like to uh, whenever I talk to a politician, somebody from Topeka that hasn't heard it before, uh, I like to remind them of the amount of the state's revenue that's generated in southwest Kansas and then also remind them that if you like having that revenue come from there, then someone has to live there and someone has to be there to produce those things. And as long as you keep shoving money at the I-35 corridor and neglecting this part of the state, then that revenue that you're shoving into the I-35 corridor is going to disappear. You have to yeah we don't have a high population so putting in a big four lane highway isn't going to have near the traffic it will in the eastern part of the state however we still need those things to produce that revenue uh, it, you know it's we're the airline industry of south of the of southwest kansas basically and so we've got to have those resources evenly distributed because someone's got to live here if we're going to continue to generate those things. And so I don't, you know, I don't see it as a, as a bleak future. I think it's going to be different. Um, I think we're going to see some outward migration from a lot of the, uh, urban areas who are looking, uh, following COVID and the riots and the violence and the, and the whole thing that went down in 2020. Uh, people are looking to get out of there. There are a lot of hardworking Americans who live in those cities who have just had enough, and they're looking for places. Uh, COVID also uh, exacerbated, uh, not exacerbated, but expedited, that's the word, that's the X word I was looking for, expedited remote working. And people are realizing, well, I don't have to live here in this place that I don't like in order to do this job i can live wherever i want so we need to be preparing for those kinds of things and being ready you know it's kind of
1: weird. you think about 20 years is like well that's a long time in the future but it's pretty easy to turn back and look back 20 years like what what were we doing then and how does that affect you know it's yeah it's not as long as you think either but i like your point about the covid deal because i think um one of the things that I've noticed and until, and still, I don't part of me uh, kind of frustrates me a little bit is you still have um, the supply chain issues. And I think, yeah. um, who was it? Um, I can't remember what deal I was listening to, but they're talking about, you know, talk about strategic planning and, you know, like take FedEx, what's your big worry or UPS, one of those shipping deals. And, and, and you don't think about it, but they said, you know, uh, with something like 3d printing, for example, you know, it's like, you know, I don't have to wait for this part to come here where we could just print it right here, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're out the shipping. Um, and so I think there's some, um, maybe a pretty good opportunity as you have those um, things that got made wherever and got shipped around the world that at some point people's like, I can't, there's not enough resiliency in this system that we're better off doing those things as local as we can anymore versus so far away. Maybe Absolutely. Do, yeah. Something like, that. you know,
2: one of the it, interesting that you m- just mentioned that because, um, just today and also in my spare time, <laughs> I'm kind of the local, uh, sound engineer and PA system guy for the community. I install them and repair them and help people with them. Uh, but just today I needed to order a, a connector. Uh, to go on a end of a wire for a for a, a headphone connection, and you can't buy them. I, I, I mean, they're even hard to buy in Garden City. So I have to go online and order a $3 connector and pay $7 shipping to get it here. And that's just what we've come to expect uh, here now. And that 3D printing, I think that's something that is going to at some point solve some of those issues for us. We'll be able to make some things as opposed to uh, paying twice what an item costs to have it shipped here. We can have it made here. Right.
1: Just hit the button and go. And then, yeah. 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 I, yeah it's hard. And it's, it's hard to envision. Like you said, I think that's where it gets tough is like, you know, 20 years ago, you never imagined the iPhone or what that. Mm-hmm could do or with Samsung, whatever kind of version you have. And then seeing what it can do and even what has changed since we've they've started making those, it's like it's hard to think of what technology will look like. But yeah. kind of got to maybe like say lay the groundwork of what maybe
2: could happen. Um but yeah Ooh. who knows. Well I think when you when you talk about long range planning, uh here's here's how I look at it. Um as opposed to bemoaning all the things that we've lost or are losing, we look at what we have and what we, ha- we are good at. Um, I'll give you an example. One of the things that um, we are pursuing in our area as far as recruitment is an industry called um, ag tech. And it's agriculture related, which we have plenty of, and it's tech related. Well, how does that fit in with us? Well, here's the thing. We have land. We have uh, excellent uh, internet um, internet service. I'm trying to think of the, uh, uh, we have a great basis for internet service. We have Uh, electricity, which we generate pretty locally uh, and can generate more. So this is a, this is a industry that uses very little water uh, and doesn't require uh, any of those other things that we're losing. So we're trying to target some industries that need what we've got uh, as opposed to targeting industries that maybe we want or are, the, or are the, um, the choice apple from the tree. Here's what we've got, who needs that? And what do we do well? And how do we get connected with the people who need those things? That's, that's how I look at long range planning and not worrying too much about where things are going to go uh eventually or what things are going to look like. But there are some things that we know we're going to have and that we know that we're good at. That's what we just focus on. How do we exploit that?
1: Right. So it's kind of those theories like okay, this is my strength. Let's utilize what our strengths are instead of yes. trying to something that yeah. Cause a lot of people I think you know it'd be nice to have this or that here, but you know, it's probably not realistic, I guess, compared to other places. Yeah. I would say. But so um I guess other than recruitment, what do you, on your economic development, what's kind of your I think core function and what
2: well, one of the things um i've had to have I've had to have this conversation recently several times um and the reason that has come about has been kind of interesting because. Um as you know, uh, Grant County is basically majority Hispanic. Uh, and our most industrious entrepreneurs in our community are Hispanic, Mexican, uh, not, and I'm going to say Mexican specifically, We have a lot of people here from uh, Guatemala, uh, Cuba, we—I I didn't know we had Cubans here. Found out we've got Cubans here. So, um, Latin America, Mexico specifically, uh, those are really the entrepreneurs in our community that are that are really going after it right now. So, my focus for a lot of it has been how do I how do I engage those people, and how do I get. Them involved with economic development, and how do I get them to step out of the shadows and become part of the leadership of our community? And so, um, you know, you're always looking for that linchpin person in your community that's going to help you bridge that gap. And and I will tell you for anyone who's Facing this issue, if you're a gringo and you have identified who you think the linchpin in the Hispanic community is, you're wrong. <laughs> 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 they, they, because their idea of a leader and our idea of their leaders are are two different things. Uh, I just happen to build a rapport with a uh, a mexican business owner here over the years and over the past year he has sent me four other hispanic business owners and i can tell you i heard this four times word for word from these four people and that was i don't know why i'm here but jesus said i had to come and talk to you and they were very defensive they were very um, leery about anything that we might be able to do after a half hour's conversation about some of the things we do and how we help and what we can help them with. Um, they were all on board. They're good. Uh, so for the entrepreneurs and the business people, one of the things that I always say, number one, that I, that is my job is... I'm a liaison. Um, I am the guy that when you run up against something you don't know or don't know who to go to, you come to me. And it's my job to maintain those relationships with the elected officials, uh, the power players, the state officials, the state agencies, It's my job to maintain those relationships and be able to connect you with uh, those people. And when this person says no, we know where to go around that to find someone else. So that liaison, as minor a role as it sounds, is actually, I feel, pretty important for uh, people who are just getting started, or trying, or maybe have just moved here, aren't familiar with the rules and the regs. Uh, and I can tell you, with the with the Hispanic business owners, a lot of them have no idea what the uh, power structure looks like in a in a in a, a U.S. community. They don't know who does what. They just know that they want to, they're going to start their business, they're going to fly under the radar, they're not going to bother anybody. But what we can hopefully do is show them how they can grow and expand. And the thing I try, especially with those people, is to get them to understand look, if you do this right the first time, you don't have to worry about five years from now, the city inspector coming by your place and saying, oh, well, this isn't right, you can't do this here. If we clear those hurdles first and take the initiative to clear those hurdles, then you're clear sailing. Then you can go on and, and do what you want to do and, and fly under the radar if you choose to do so. But um, that's that's been a big part of it. Uh, so that liaison job, uh, I think, is pretty important. Um, other than that, we manage a, um, a fund uh, here, an economic incentive fund that we use for assisting businesses existing and uh, new, uh, whether it be with a loan uh, to get started or just some uh, advice, uh, connecting them with the right people. Uh, whatever the case may be, uh, we manage that fund. We um, um, try and we, we have... I think around two hundred thousand dollars in loans out currently, just out of our coffers uh, that are working in businesses here in the community. So that's a big part of it. Um, and not to the, this isn't part of my economic development job, but we also own a very large building that we're in, and we have tenants, and so I'm also the landlord, and, and I change the light bulbs and uh, do all, all that stuff as well. But Uh, it's, it's really kind of multifaceted what we do in economic development. And, and I can sum up the rest of my job with this. Uh, when you get into the nuts and bolts of economic development, uh, one of the first things they will tell you is 80% of new jobs in your community come from existing businesses. And so our job is to make sure that our existing businesses uh, are healthy and they've got what they need. And remember that your most prized company in your community would be, your neighbor would love to have them. So don't take your existing businesses for granted, uh, make sure they're, they are taken care of, they've got what they need. And, and I guess the rest of it comes down to my philosophy is we wanna make Grant County a great place to do business. And if it's a good place to do business and when businesses look to come here, they talk to other businesses. And if they tell them, yeah, well, this is a great place, then that goes a lot further than Bob Dale saying, hey, yeah, we got a great place. You ought to come here. Other businesses tell them that 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 has a lot more weight than anything I can say. Oh, right.
1: Yeah. Nothing like a good word of mouth referral. Yeah. So I like your that liaison role you're talking about because like, well, I think he was talking about another deal the other day about how, you know, a lot of times in a, people start a business, they got an idea and then use it as they get to going and they find those roadblocks or Mm -hmm. actual rules and regulations. And, and, uh, yeah, I can see that'd be a lot easier to hit that, uh, get it right the first time or as much as you can anyway. And sometimes that's part of growing, right. As you grow a business and add employees and do things like that, then exactly that, that changes. But, uh, yeah, that seems that's pretty important now. So, um, am i thinking here um you mentioned um uh, you know hispanic community is a big part of you know really our all of southwest kansas yeah um and i think i'm pretty sure you told this story because i repeat it all the time from way i can't remember how many years ago back i heard you say it i think but you know one of the things i think that we've seen is um and you were talking about you know um historically we almost as kids are growing up it's like you need to get a job at the gas company you need to get a job mm-hmm. at you know there's some great places to work like is pioneer electric or pioneer communications you know they have great benefits and they lost that entrepreneurial spirit i think is the story how you told it. yeah correct
2: yeah we're breeding we're breeding the entrepreneurial spirit out of out of our kids because it's hard uh and We'd rather they go off and get a good secure job with good benefits. And we have had that advantage here for a long time. In Ulysses, we're home to uh, the telecom company. We're home to the electric company. We're home to uh, all these gas companies. We were home to so many things that that's what we wanted our kids to do. The Hispanics, not that way. They they want to work and they want to be their own boss and they want to make money and they want to hustle. And, um, they're, they're not that interested in a cushy job, uh, with a, with a nice retirement. They, uh, they really want to build something for themselves and for their family. Um, I'm not saying there aren't any Anglos that want to do that, but, Uh, the real emphasis, because we've had the luxury of having those uh, companies just be here. Um, But you take some communities like um, Syracuse and Leota, those small communities who've never had those advantages for the last 50 years, they still have a lot of entrepreneurs in them. They have people who are looking, how can I slice, cut out my slice of the American dream? Uh, and so they they still do. We've kind of bred that out here uh, in some of our communities.
1: Yeah. And I guess too, it's like, there's nothing really wrong about wanting a job like that, but I think no. is, there's just a different mindset. I think that, like you said, you lose and then when it comes to, okay, now what I do, then it's like, yeah, yeah, you look for too much easy
2: stuff, I guess I will say. But You get to the point, gas and oil's gone, water's gone, some yeah. of those companies aren't here anymore, now what? Now what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, one time too,
1: because um, talking about the Hispanic community is interesting because um, before we started, we was talking about the census. Mm-hmm um and how and i was it's kind of research some stuff and y- you know we all want more people in communities and even maintaining what we in our communities is kind of a start with and and i was looking up you know like stan county is down 10 percent compared to 2010 i said the hamlin county is down to five grant county down eight and you were like there's no way And even has any county decreasing and you know it was you know so with our bank up there it's like they're they they can not build enough homes like I don't think it's down what were your thoughts on those or why um why it
2: doesn't seem right I guess what's your yeah. thought you're about to make me sit up in my chair this is <laughs> this is where I start getting excited um so to start with the if if people watch this or listening to this if you come away from this with nothing else this is so important to grasp and understand, is that it doesn't matter what the numbers say, they are the numbers. And whether the number is right or wrong or off by 10,000%, those are the numbers. And that's what the federal government and the state government, and everyone will work off of moving forward. We can argue that they're wrong all day, but they're they're the numbers. And um, so here's one of the things regarding that that's a real issue for me and uh, was a real issue for all the members of I'm a member of another organization called the Western Kansas Rural Economic Development Alliance, CREDA, and uh, there's a fellow by the name of Jeremy Hill at Wichita State University. And Jeremy is a sharp dude. He really is. And he knows economics, and he is probably the answer man for economic questions in the state of Kansas. This is what he does. He tracks these trends and these things. But what he did was he put out a map uh, that was forecasting population 50 years from now. Between now and 50 years, how, what were the population trends in the state going to be? And he showed basically all of western Kansas just completely drying up. And while that, and and he will tell you to this day, that's what the numbers show. The current decrease in population forecast out over this time shows this is what your population is going to be. And our argument to him was, you can't publish a map like that because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because when you tell people that the population of Ulysses is going to be 4,000 people or 3,000 people in 25 years, they're going to say, well, we don't want to locate there. Uh, We're going to go somewhere where the people are going. There's no way to reverse that trend if you're publishing things that say "This this is what it's going to be it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's infuriating to us that that map is out there. Um, so those are the numbers though. And that's what we have to deal with. And when we talk about the census, it is it is so important that we get counted. Uh, and we ran a pretty good campaign here in Grant County. And we had a reasonable response rate. But we know, just like you can look at Garden City until its population is bigger than it was 10 years ago, here in Ulysses, when we look at all the key indicators, we haven't lost any population. Um, We have gained. Now, what we have gained is going to be uh, a certain segment of the population that isn't all that jazzed about uh, turning their information into the federal government. And um, I had a conversation. I, I I got hooked up with this family here, the Pineda family. And um, they are some go-getter entrepreneurs, and they're really good people. And I was talking to Juan about it, uh, about some of the issues we were facing and we got to talking about the census and or uh, what we were talking about is uh, trying to communicate to the Hispanic community, um, you know, why why is there a mistrust? How can we bridge that gap? And he said, uh, you, you mean kind of like on the census where they say uh, that we can go ahead and fill that out, and nobody's going to contact immigration. And we know that's BS. We don't fill it out. <laughs> so that's the that is the mindset. They're not filling out the census because they don't. Uh, even if they're legal, they don't really want the federal government to know they're here or what they're up to. Uh, they believe that that's just another way for uh, to to find out what what's going on and what they're up to. And there are, we do have a segment of illegals here. And by the way, for this part of the country, visa uh, system set up, it's going to be devastating. We have got to have uh, those workers, we've got to have that uh, workforce, and we'd really love for them to be here uh, legally. Um, But they're coming here illegally because they can work, but they're not reporting. And it just continues to show our population dropping and it's not. So we're having to provide services for more people while receiving funding for fewer people. And that's what it comes down to.
1: Well, and too, I think, you know, there's um, and I don't think you have to be there's a lot of people of, different varieties that don't like reporting things to the federal government either yes <laughs> so, yeah you know and that's the other deal is like how about just like i'm here that's it that's all you need to know you know yeah yeah that's yeah, uh, uh, yeah. kind of like uh, yeah i better not say that so <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> so that does make it a challenge so so I guess how do you see um, the best ways? You know, talk about okay. Reality is, uh, and you know, the the strength of that community. How do we help them, or what do you think are the biggest things to, um, I guess, make a part of the community and how to make it more successful?
2: I guess or help grow our economy. I guess it's it's not an easy answer and. Uh, well, I should say it's an easy answer. It's not easy to attain, but it's about relationships and, um, and building trust and finding those people and uh, making sure they know they're seen. Um, it has been, <laughs> uh, recently, it's been my pleasure to drag some of our Uh, Hispanic business owners to some functions and just point around the room and say, look, do you see any other brown faces here besides yours? And they're not. And my message to them is, these are the people who are making the decisions that affect you on a daily basis, and you're not being represented. Uh, I can try And people can try, but we have to have your participation. And that's a, um, they see it when I show it to them and they understand that, yes, they do need to be more involved. But um, recently I had a conference. I invited nine of our, of my Hispanic business owners to be there. To talk about engaging the Hispanic business community. Uh, Three of them showed up. And one of them, after about an hour of discussion, said, You know, and he had pointed out there were no brown people in the room except those three. And, but he did come back and finally say, Look, we're, we have to be responsible my people have to be just as responsible for this as you, because look, Bob invited nine people here. Three of us showed up. We had an opportunity to address the issues and we decided we'd rather be making money. And, and that's, you know, building those relationships and getting those people to realize that they can have a say in the future of their community. Um, I think they don't believe that. I think they come from a culture and a country that did not allow them those opportunities. And all they have to do is get involved and become a part of it, and then they can have a stay. Um, they're not, a lot of them aren't really concerned about that, but they, because they don't even know it's a thing they don't know that they have a chance to have that uh, that say in in how things go and how things are done Uh, but just building relationships and it's slow and it's tedious and it's uh and it takes time but um they're they are industrious and um and like say the the (laughs) um one of my members of that panel said specifically, he said, I took time to be here today and I didn't want to. Said, I should be out making money because I'm not making any money sitting here for two hours in this panel. And so that's their priorities. And it was kind of funny because at the end of that, I think this one particular panel member, you could kind of see the realization growing with him that I'm probably going to have to be that guy. (laughs) I'm going to have to be that guy that helps bridge that gap and helps get the people involved. Uh, And it really did. I think it really kind of dawned on him there towards the end. So, um, you know, it's it's about. Economic development's about enthusing your, po- in, 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 enthusing your population and getting them uh, to believe. Uh, there is so much negativity in our communities, and there's so much of seeing only out of one eye with so many things. Uh, to illustrate that, I, had a, I just happened to bump into a guy And I said, hey, how's it going as I was passing? And he decided that was an opportunity to tell me all the things that were wrong with Ulysses and all the stores that are closing and all the empty houses that we have for sale, which by the way, we have fewer houses for sale for the past year than we've ever had. We have a lower inventory of homes for sale than ever. Um, But he decided it was his opportunity to tell me all the terrible things. And he went on and on and on and on. And then, of his own accord, without any prompting from me, said, But you know, so and so opened up a new business. And oh, and there's that new place over there. And then he went on to name five new things that had just happened recently in the community. And, but it's that negativity up front that everyone sees. And I, uh, a great example is a story I tell all the time. Uh, we were doing we were doing a function in the parking lot of our shopco, which had just shut down at that time, and a person from another community drove up to see what the function was about, and they decided that was the time to lament about. Oh, ShopCo closed, and these small towns, everything's closing, and people are, you know, the population's moving away, and these businesses are going away, and went on and on, and I pointed across the street, and I said, did you see our new Casey's? It's right there. Remember what used to be there? It wasn't pretty, but we've got a brand new Casey's. Yeah, yeah but, you know, with just so many businesses leaving people only want to see that bad they want to see the bad because it makes them feel better somehow that oh uh, things are just terrible and that negativity is a killer it really is it just permeates um, one of the things and i'm going to i'm going to switch courses on you here chris cuz that reminded me of something else that um, I think most people listening to this probably know, but there is a large portion of the general public who does not understand that businesses, all businesses are owned by someone. Um, When I mentioned Casey's, it reminded me because I saw someone who complained they couldn't believe that our city our city, built a Casey's because we already have four convenience stores. If the city's going to build something, why would they build that when we already have four other convenience stores? And, and that's not the first time I've run across that. It happens all the time. People believe that if we want a Target or a Walmart, all we got to do is build it. And and it'll be there. All those businesses are owned by someone and they decide where they're going to go and whether they get built or not. Not us. Uh, we still have a controversy here in this community about Walmart. And Walmart still actually owns a piece of property on the east side of town. Um, in 2006, they were gung-ho. They bought a piece of ground. They got the KDOT permits. They got the They got the piece annexed into the city. They had the blueprints drawn. 2008 happens. The whole economy drops into the tank and Walmart says we're not building any new stores. And that's where it stays to this day. But there are people who believe that they stopped Walmart from coming uh, because they wrote a letter to Walmart and said they didn't want a Walmart here. And that's why there's not a Walmart. And, or there are people who believe that the city stopped the Walmart from coming or the county or whoever. The only person that stopped Walmart from coming was Walmart. And so, like I say, there's just such a misconception about how things actually work. And that's why I, I don't do a lot of work trying to educate the general public. If I'm going to educate anybody, I'm starting at the junior high and high school level. So, by the time those kids become adults, they'll have an idea of how stuff works. I do a I do a seminar a couple times a year with kids, and it is called exactly how stuff works. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's good. Because, you know, yeah, there's just a misconception of every decision everybody's making is based off, you know, will this work for me or my business? Yeah. And uh, sometimes it does, and then things change, too, you know, so... That's just part of it. But. Yeah. Hmm. So um, you're talking about education. And is that uh, part of, I guess, part of your liaison job? I guess part of your job is really education too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is that um, and going through the schools? I guess what um, I guess you feel that's pretty successful or worth your time, I guess.
2: Yeah, oh absolutely. I'd I'd be in the I'd be in a classroom every day if somebody would let me. Um I let me share this story with you because this is a this is one of the most fascinating things uh that I have run across working with students. Uh a couple of years ago, we decided to put on our own little shark tank. You know, it was it was kind of a popular thing to do in communities, put on a a shark tank. For those of you who don't know, that's That's where people come up with a business idea and they present it to a panel and the panel decides whether it's any good or not. And we gave away some cash prizes at the high school. And when we did it at the high school to a person, well, I take that back. I think there was one group that didn't, but everyone was looking at opening a business somewhere else they were going to go to Denver, they were going to go to Houston, they were going to go to Los Angeles, and they were going to do this and this. And it was going to be big, huge, and fantastic. And it was, um, it was a little disappointing. But what it's what we the reason we do it is to try to teach kids something about entrepreneurship and how it works. And, and, and not necessarily to, to encourage entrepreneurship, which we'd want to, but to better to, to allow the high school students to better understand what our local business owners are going through on a day-to-day basis. Every, every 30 days when you show up there asking for money for whatever uh, ridiculous activity you have going on, this is the money that they're trying to pull from to give to you because they've had to work and earn it. So to give them a better appreciation of what business owners uh, have to fight through to become successful. Now comes the interesting part of the story. A couple of years later, I'm invited to the middle school, um, seventh seventh and eighth graders. And they, one of their teachers decided to have them all come up with their own business that they wanted to start. And every single one of the middle school students looked within our community and found something they felt we needed. It wasn't, uh, you know, it it wasn't a fancy shoe store in Houston. It wasn't a sports bar in Denver. It was a dog walking uh, service. It was a babysitting service. It was a barber shop. All of them were located in Ulysses. That was their plan. They saw, they felt there was a need for these things in this community. And I thought that was such a fascinating find to see high school kids who are looking to do giant, grand things in the city. And our junior high students were still thinking, what can we do here? What do we need here? And how can we make it better here? That just blew me away, the, the contrast between the two. I thought it was fascinating.
1: That's interesting because I did, you know, made me think of, and uh, I'm getting too old, I think, Bob. I can't remember where I hear all these stories. But um, I think there's something naturally wired in us that, like, your creative ability actually get, goes away as you get older. hmm you know, and and, uh, you know, like, for example, you might have a high school kids like or even us as adults, like, oh, what can I make out of this paperclip and give it to, you know, kindergarten kids like, well, maybe the paperclips are made out of this and I can make this out of it. And yeah. It's amazing how sometimes it's I don't know if it's just um, getting jaded as you get older in life or, or what it is, but I think you kind of start maybe that's part of what happens in our communities is you kind of start thinking smaller as you get older or something. And, you know, but I think, you know, kind of like you said, you know, you got those kids and junior and I thinking I can do something here, you know, yeah. A, yeah. That's interesting.
2: So yeah, with the, with students, I, uh, uh, and, and kind of the impetus for that was uh, our chamber director, Marita Hauser and I were discussing one day, because it came up again, like, how do we, you know, do we need to run another campaign about shop at home? Do we need to, how do we convince people how valuable it is to themselves and their community that we shop at home? And I said, and, and just there, I said, look, I've given up on adults. Uh, There's no changing their mind about that. What we need to do is get into the schools and talk to the kids And I've had a couple of real eye-opening moments with uh, high school students because what I do is I I make it something that they care about. And a lot of high school students have jobs. And so I'll ask them, how many of you have jobs? And they'll raise their hand. I said, who here works at Sonic? Okay, you work at Sonic. Does anybody here work at the grocery store? Yeah, I work at the grocery store. Uh, and then I say, have you ever taken the money you've earned at Sonic and bought something at the grocery store? Well, yeah. Okay. So you paid your friend's wages. You helped out your friend. Have you ever taken your money from the grocery store and bought something at Sonic? Well, yeah. Then you helped pay her wages. That's where that money comes from. You are supporting each other. You're taking care of each other and that money then circulates around and then goes into somebody else's pocket and it comes back around. It ends up in your parents' pocket. Um, And that was that's really kind of eye opening when you relate it to, well, you get money, but yeah, I go there and I work and they give me money. Of course they do. Now, when you go to Walmart and spend that money, you earned at Sonic. Did any of your friends get any of that money? No, they didn't. So it, it's really eye-opening. And I'll tell you one of the other questions I ask is, does anybody here got any money? And kids be like, I got $3 or I got $10. And like, all right, where did you get that money? From my parents, okay. Where did they get that money? From, from their job, okay. Where did their job get that money to give to your parents? And each time it takes a little longer for them to think through the process and like customers, right? Um, So then where did those customers get the money to give to the, your parents' job from their jobs? And you just start drawing a circle around that the money in the community circulates. And when you take money out of the community, no one here gets that or benefits from that. And then you start talking about sales tax and, uh, and municipalities and you ask them, what happens when you go into your house and flip the, uh, turn on the faucet, water comes out. Do you know how that happens? The city takes care of that. They make sure there's water at your house. It comes out every time you you turn on the faucet. When you flush the toilet, where does that go? I don't know. Well, it goes in the sewer and it goes out. The city takes care of that. It's, um, you know, those kinds of things at that level, you can, you can see the lights come on. Uh, and so hopefully... Any of those kids I've talked to, when they become adults, they don't have to be told shop at home. They understand the benefit of it. And so that's that's where I'm doing a lot of focus.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I think, you know, and it kind of goes back to a little bit of your comment about, you know, where did the city build the KC's or whatnot? But yeah. you know, sometimes I think some of our public, it's a general impression that um the grocery store will always be there. Yeah. Or, you know, and of course, like, you know, I miss here long, but I remember as a little kid, the duck walls that was downtown, maybe the building you're in, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, why would it not, why would they ever leave? It's like, well, they got to be able to survive or they don't, Yeah, and, uh, you know, some of the things I think we just take them for granted, different institutions and there's, they don't have to be here. They don't have to stay and we yeah. have to support them and, and make it worthwhile. So, Hey, thank you for joining us this episode of our podcast and be watching here. Our next episode, we'll finish our conversation with Bob and we get a little more into what he sees and how he helps ex businesses on more individual level basis and improve and whatnot. And so a really neat conversation. So we'll get that finished up, but thank you. And you guys have a great week.
0: Thanks for listening to DreamMaker, making dreams come true. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on social media at FNB Windmill and online at fnb-windmill.com. Heard a topic that could enrich someone else's life too? Be sure to share this podcast with friends and family and check back regularly for new episodes or subscribe so you never miss a show. See you soon.